Blog Talk Radio. Right into this world, all alone. God takes your soul, you're on your own. A crow flies Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, and I hope you've had a great, a good as day as I have watching college football recruiting signing day. What a wild day. This is the the NFL draft for college, really. It's, it's a lot more exciting, honestly, than the draft. This was an eventful day. It started, really, the signings began at, I think, 8 Eastern this morning. And it went all the way up through the evening. A lot of drama we're going to talk about. The nation's number one player, Byron Cowart, signed his letter, or excuse me, committed to Auburn this morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, or 10 a.m. But he didn't sign the LOI until around 3. So just a lot of drama going on right now in college football. We're going to, we're going to hit on the winners and losers of recruiting, of signing day, and and just a little info I, I received regarding Hugh Freeze and the Ole Miss Rebels. Just thought people would like to hear this. He actually called the NCAA and and let them know that Tennessee was cheating in recruiting. Uh, flipped a, an offensive lineman from Ole Miss to Tennessee. And was Hugh Freeze looking in the mirror when he when he was saying the word cheater? Because if I if I recall correctly, just a couple of years ago. He signed the number one recruits about every position and flipped from programs like Alabama, LSU, teams that were dominating recruiting, and all of a sudden they all decided to come to Ole Miss. So, Hugh Freeze, be careful, you know, pointing the finger at somebody because it can come back to you. And this day there's two teams involved in recruiting that, that got the media attention, and that was Auburn in Florida. But there's one team that – that really closed very strong, and that was the Southern Cal Trojans out of out of Southern California. What a what a class these guys put together. First year without sanctions. We're going to discuss what what impact Sarkeesian had on the Southern Cal Trojans. I mean, what a phenomenal way to to get your program back on track. This is his first full recruiting cycle after the Kiffin debacle and after probation, but here we are, USC sitting at number one in scout and rivals, and it's it's amazing. You look at SEC football, man, I'm telling you right now, looking through the rankings, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, the SEC has dominated recruiting once again, and just a little shout-out for everybody out there that thinks the SEC is, is drying up, they're gone, they're in the past now. You look at recruiting, man, it's not even close. So we have the Super Bowl take place. And, and, again, we're going to talk a lot of recruiting. We did not have a show this past Sunday night because of the Super Bowl. No need to compete with the Super Bowl. I was too busy watching it and enjoying it to actually talk about it at that time. But Tom Brady with his fourth Super Bowl ring to tie Joe Montana. And how many teams out there have you seen how many quarterbacks have thrown for four touchdowns in a game against the Seattle Seahawks? I, I couldn't name you one. But but Tom Brady, that New England team, the resiliency, uh, just being able to keep fighting. They dominated the first half of that game in the fourth quarter. They won it. 
a great play at the end, two great plays, a, a miracle catch by Seattle to even put them in position to get to the one-yard line to be able to, to throw that beautiful interception. But congratulations are in order to Tom Brady, Belichick, the New England Patriots. So maybe we can talk about something besides Deflategate and cheating because one thing you have to do is tip your hat to the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. What a phenomenal run. Is he the best quarterback of all time? I couldn't really argue with you if you said yes. So I'll, I'll put it that way. And, you know, it seems like it's been forever since we've been we've been on air. But I, I see Quinn Thomas is, is in the studio right now. Quinn, if you want to talk, press number one. We'll get you in. If you'd like to call in, 646-716-5564. Call in. Give us your take on recruiting. Get in the chat room. However it is, I am alone tonight, so that means I have Wellington with me. So in case he barks, just just ignore it right now. But, you know, a funny thing before we talk about the Super Bowl is I've, I've been hearing a lot of trash talk from Florida fans today. And, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, okay, what, you know, the must chap leaving Florida. Remember Florida fans, he was fired from Florida. He didn't he didn't leave and take all of his recruits. But we have some some butt-hurt Florida fans out there that, you know, talking about how the SEC runs through that state and how they're back now after a strong day. Well, I look at Florida's recruiting. I'm trying to find them here. At number 29, they had two five-star commits. That's great. Two commits out of the top 100, so two five-stars. They had two four-stars, two and 16 three-stars, and these guys finished about 29th, 30th in recruiting, but they're beating their chest like they just dominated the SEC in recruiting. I think, you know, let me name you some teams that, that finished ahead of Florida. Missouri in the SEC finished ahead of Florida. That's one. So help me help me keep track here. And this is not to bash Florida. This is just uh, to give you some reality. When I usually don't say much, but when someone – goes out of their way to, to take shots at other people. I try to I try to defend that. So one, that's Missouri. Arkansas is twenty two, that's two. So even South Carolina finished ahead of Florida three. Mississippi State four. Mississippi five. LSU six. Texas A and M seven. Georgia eight. Tennessee nine. Auburn ten. Alabama eleven. There's eleven schools in the SEC that finished ahead of the Florida Gators. And I'm going to bring a Tennessee Vols fan on right now, Mr. Senior Cuervo. And Cuervo, I'm going to start out by just welcoming you to the show, of course. But Florida fans, awful cocky right now when they finish 12th in the SEC in recruiting. I mean, should would you be beating your chest right now if Tennessee beat Kentucky in uh, – and Vanderbilt at recruiting. That's the that's the question I'd like to ask you. My studio just went down for a moment, so give me just one second and let me get you in, Cuervo. Just bear with me just one moment. Okay, Cuervo, you're live. Sorry about that, buddy. Hey, no, not a problem at all, Tarvin. And, and well, first of all, can I can I say one thing about the fact that Florida finished 12 in the uh, yeah. in in the SEC alone? I got one thing to say about that. <laughs> there, I said it. So, and, you know, 
No, they don't. I, I mean, how can you how can you be proud of that? Well, I mean, I'm not even be proud, but I mean, are Gator fans like talking about how great of their of a class they have? Is that is that what this is about? Well. Well, some of them are, and one guy in particular attacked me today on Weigh-In Sports message board, talking about how Florida, how the SEC ran through the ran through Florida, and that they would have a better record than Auburn uh, this year. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head, wondering what is this guy smoking? And he's supposed to be a credible person. I'm not going to mention names on my show. I'm not going to do that. But you know, over the past few months, the people I've talked to, the guy's a sunshine pumper, and he. When you're such a homer that I can't even discuss anything with you, that's pretty bad. I mean, I can't even – I almost get nauseated even discussing sports with with somebody like that. But to sit here and, and say you had more five stars than Auburn did, which both of them had two, but you had like two four stars and Auburn had 18. So there, there's a big difference there. I mean, if you want to beat your chest with five stars, that's fine. But the bottom line is the butthurt that comes from Muschamp coming to Auburn and, and getting some some recruits from Florida to come. If you look at Auburn's roster, a lot of Florida players, Cuervo, fill out that roster. Man, it was the loaded one. Well, you know what? That's just the way recruiting goes, Tarvin. And, and you know, sometimes when 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 you're when you're when you're willing to put in the work and you and you can honestly say that you're a grinder and you're a hustler, it's going to happen. <laughs> and trust me. And people out there that don't know, I know what I'm talking about. I I was a recruiter too, not for a college football team, but for but for my respective organization that I worked for. So I know what it takes to put in the hours and 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 be a grinder and things like that. Did and did I potentially take kids away from the other branches of service? Yes, I did, and I'm not afraid to say that because you know sometimes it had to be something where it was. They just had to know the truth about certain things, and they were lied to or something like that. And I'm sure it happens every single day in college football during recruiting. They get lied to about certain things, and when they find out the truth, they change their mind and they decommit. So, I mean, it happens. But, you know, and I think the whole must chance to Auburn thing, obviously that's going to rub uh, Florida fans the wrong way. But, uh, you why? know, I mean, why? it's not like they, – they, they fired him. I, mean, I understand I that. They fired him, Cuervo. They fired him. They told him to hit the road, and then they 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 kiss his butt uh, after he leaves. And, and and you know, you talk about the grind, right, Cuervo? The grind. Auburn is like second uh-huh. nationally in recruiting budget. That's how much they spend. They work hard at it. They can't they can't recruit like Tennessee and Alabama and go all the way across the country and do all that. They have to do what they do and do it well. And and they do it very well, but to sit here and to put down the rest of the SEC because your butt hurt that the number one player in the country went to Auburn, get over it, man. I mean, Florida really thinks they're going to win the SEC, you know, in the next you year. Know what? Are and, you serious? And, and, yeah, and let them think that's Harvin. I mean, that's how that's how ignorant Florida fans can be sometimes, and you know. And even if Paul Ewing was on, I'd probably tell him the same thing. Not that he's ignorant, but he's a talk to his fellow Gator fans. <laughs> you know, and he needs to talk to his fellow Gator fans and understand that they need to be a little more humble. But you know, and, and, and you know, you brought up a good point, Tarvin. As far as as far as Muschamp is concerned, first of all, they fired the guy, right? And second of all, why are you so mad when over time he made the team worse? 
progress they got progressively worse as a program in the SEC. I mean, and and you're mad about that? You know, it, it was different. Like when 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 Lane Kiffin did his one year in um, at Tennessee, and and he bolted overnight for USC. Yeah, it bothered Tennessee fans, myself included, because we saw what could have been with Lane Kiffin. He brought a new attitude, and yeah, you know, kind of a kind of a uh, uh, a uh, rebel type guy, and we all know that. But you know, the reason it upset me is because I knew Lane Kiffin was gonna be was gonna do some good things at uh, at Tennessee. Now, come to find out. You know, he takes the USC job, and, and, I mean, he didn't even get, you know, uh, put on the plane after losing a game on the road. They made him – I mean, they made him walk home from there. So maybe it was it was the right decision to – for, for you know, to let Lane Kiffin just go about his business. It was – I guess it was for good for Tennessee fans because now we wind up with a guy like Butch Jones who's doing a – a good job with recruiting and, 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 you know, I love the, I love the brick by brick saying, and, and, and that's what it's all about at Tennessee. So, um, you know, but I guess if Florida fans want to be mad about a, about a coach, you know, over time that made their program worse then well, I guess they like mediocrity, whatever. Well, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this Cuervo. One thing that rubbed the Florida fans the wrong way today was Byron Cowart the number one player in the country when he committed to Auburn. And then I want to talk about the story. I don't know if you know all the news. I've got some more information on the story about why he didn't sign his letter. But he came with a Chucky doll, you know, after the Chucky doll. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That Urban Meyer started that at Florida with the best defensive end they have. But the best defensive player on the team would have a Chucky doll. And today, after he signed with Auburn, he got that Chucky doll that he received from from Fowler, one of the old Florida players, and that really upset Florida fans. I get that, okay? But here's the deal. If you're going to get upset at the actions of an 18-year-old kid, I mean, come on, you have problems. If, if, if what a kid does affects you personally to a point where you're attacking them on Twitter and you're, you're calling them out, you need to maybe ch- check your house and see what's going on, really. But, but I want to talk about this first. I don't know if you're aware... Uh, Byron Coward committed to Auburn this morning, but yet his facts was nowhere to be found. Did, did you hear anything about that? Yeah, you know what, Tarvin? Actually, to be honest with you, um, you know, I, I have I, – I, I mean, I, I'm working during the day, and I actually have a lot of things going on at work. However, um, no, I, and I didn't, I didn't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, you know, dur- during the day I, I'm at work, I really don't have – the opportunity to um, check that stuff. However, when I was on Facebook, I saw, uh, you know, your posts on, on your way in sports talk page and things like that. And, and it seemed like the kid couldn't make his mind up. Like, well, it, it, it looked to me like, like he, he made the verbal commitment, but the letter of intent wasn't there. It wasn't signed. It wasn't uh, in, you know, in writing that he is an Auburn Tiger. And uh, your your picture was very cool, by the way. Um, but um, the, yeah, at least that's what it looks like to me. No, no, no. Well, the picture of him in, in the in the Auburn uniform, the kid coward in the in the Auburn uniform. Yeah. Uh, I, at least I thought it was you that posted that picture, but I saw one. And um, 
you know, so so I guess he finally it's official finally that he is he is going to go to Auburn. I don't. Yes. I mean, that's what it sounds yeah, like to me. Facts. The fax has been received, but but here's two stories of the delay, in, and I want you to tell me which one you believe, and then we'll bring Quinn on in a minute. He won't, he's going to weigh in on this as well. Well, the the coach is saying, Coach Callahan is the high school coach, Sean Callahan. Uh, his son is actually a position coach at Florida. So here's the, that's the story, okay? He's close to his coach, Byron Coward is. So the coach has something to gain, you know, Florida being Florida in the state and also his son being a coach. So the coach says that Byron Cowart signed two letters of intent this morning, came to him, gave them to him and said and said, Don't don't send either one. I'm committing to Auburn verbally, but I'm not gonna sign anything just yet. Well, this is a kid with a mother that's one of a kind. She worked two, three jobs to to put him through dad's in prison and everything. Well, Byron Coward and his mother, their story is they signed the Auburn letter, and they left. They had two, the Florida they did not sign, and asked him to fax this letter for him after he made his commitment. Well, the coach, the mother was very heated, is what I'm hearing, what I'm reading from Yahoo. If you go to Yahoo, you can, you can read Pat Forty's uh, email yourself. I'm not making this up. So the mom mm-hmm. and son, Byron Coward, are saying that, that they gave him one and he didn't do it, and they were giving him a hard time about going to Auburn and everything. Which one do you believe? Would you believe the mom and the kid uh, that looked pretty confident about going to Auburn, or would you believe this coach, that son, the position coach there, and puts a lot of pressure on kids to make sure they sign with Florida? Um, I, do, I do believe that um... – there was, you know, because you you said if I, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly, you had said that the um, the coach at Florida, uh, Callahan, position coach, um, I, I believe that he was, in you know, part of the complication of it. Um, so that that's what I believe. I think he kind of tried to his last minute tactics to try and flip him to go to Florida and things like that. So, I mean, that's what I believe. I believe the coach had a lot to do with it, but I guess I would have to read the story myself to really yeah, fully understand. Not that I didn't understand what you said, but, you know, I, yeah, read it if I read it, I probably. Well, uh, uh-huh. I look at it. I blame, I blame him as well because the or coward. I blame him because if I'm a kid, I'm, I'm a grown man now. I'm 18. I'm gonna sign my. I'm gonna send my own back then, you know. And and maybe they'll they'll look at this and and use it as an example. They need to have that letter sitting right there on the on the side where he's committing. He signs it. Someone there that's doing the press conference takes it away and faxes it. I think that's how they should do it um, instead of letting these coaches get something out of it because I guarantee you if Cowart had come to Florida this coach was in for a big bonus you know high school coaches don't make a ton of money so I'm sure he's going to get maybe 10 grand uh, to influence Byron to come to Florida if I'm guessing right I'm not I don't know this for sure but I'm guessing so I'm going to bring Quinn on Quinn you know the story you've read what I put out there what are your thoughts on this Cowart situation well well I actually after just like at six central time, 
rivals slash like Yahoo Sports were doing like a recruit recap where they were bringing people on, and they brought Byron on, and his reasoning was, is he wanted to he wanted to see what CC Jefferson was going to do, and he wanted to take more time to pray about it and to talk about it with his mom. So I think he thought, like, Auburn was where he wanted to go, but he wanted to pray about it to make sure and then talk about it with his mom. And then I think after CC decided to go to Florida, then he pretty much knew um, Auburn was where he, where, is where he was meant to go. Why? Why? I want to ask you that. Why would... Where Jefferson went influenced where he went. I mean, going into last night or going into today, Jefferson was about a one percent chance to to come to Auburn. So, why hold off until CC Jefferson made an announcement? Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, last night CC said there's a good chance I may end up at Auburn. So you may want to wait and see. If that's where I go, if that's where I go, so then we can maybe send our LOI in at the same time. I honestly yeah. don't know. They didn't really ask that. He said that CC didn't, as as we know now, CC didn't have anything to do. He said I was ninety percent sure I was going to Auburn when he said he committed, but then he kind of said he wanted to re-talk about it with his mom and pray about it. Okay. Well. But well, I mean, that's some, that's but, some good stuff. Yeah, he has a really good attitude, though. And I and I will say this, since I'm a young kid and I recently had to make a decision like a college decision, I think it's pathetic how grown adults will get on and attack a kid for, for especially for a D1 kid that has a lot of schools, a lot of scholarship money, and you're going to attack a kid for not going to your school, that's pathetic. Maybe they should relook at their life and realize how hard it was for a college decision for them to make. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, I mean it, it happens all fan bases. You, These kids are getting bashed in a way, and, and all they're doing, you know what, they don't owe us a dime. They don't owe us anything. They don't owe us anything. I mean, all they, they need to go with what's best for them if they choose – Alabama, Notre Dame, Auburn, that's their business. They have to live every day of their life, and, and we shouldn't care. But, Quinn, thanks, buddy, for the call. Stay on there. I'll bring you back in a few. Uh, we're going to go to the 256 area code in Alabama. You're on way in sports. Who's this? It's Bertram. I know who you are, Bertram. I just wanted to make sure. I've done it before where I've said the wrong name. <laughs> so, uh, how's everything going, man? Hey, it's going. Hey, it's been a it's been a crazy day today. Crazy day. I want to uh piggyback off of the last caller a little bit. What I heard, I I just know me personally. You know, I don't berate like players for going other places and stuff like that. But the only problem I would have had today was if you wasn't sold on Auburn, you shouldn't have never said Auburn. You should have canceled the press conference. You should have did all that. Yep. So that's 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 why it was kind of uneasy for Auburn fans, maybe because it's like here we go again. We've been down this road like three years in a row. Some kind of way we've been <laughs> disappointed from Saturday. 
somebody saying they're coming and then they flip at the end. So, Auburn fans, today was one of the better recruiting days I've had as an Auburn fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, we usually don't do too good on signing day. We usually have all our ducks in a row before then. And today was kind of so that was kind of exciting, you know. I was looking forward to it because it ain't, I ain't never had like five or six recruits like you not knowing where they're gonna go, like literally. And so that was kind of exciting, but you know, I'm glad whatever happened happened. You know, what I'm saying with him or whatever. Well, it, it was exciting, Bertram, uh, to watch it. But I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if we don't get any of these guys? What are we gonna do? Are we gonna go to junior college? And that was what I was preaching. And that was I was preaching to you, or it's what I talked to you. That's how, that's how I would say. I was looking at like we're not gonna get none of them because <laughs> I felt like we I felt like we came too late in recruiting them and. It just shows the testament of um, T. Rob and Moose Champ the effect that they had because pretty much we 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 were looking at Florida class today. Most of our recruits, <laughs> that, 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 was, that, was, that was some of them were supposed to go to Florida, and because of Moose Champ, they came to Auburn. Yeah, a lot. Um, actually, I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was impressed. Don't get me wrong. Um, Coward was the, you know, that was the, that was the headliner, you know what I'm saying, number one player and everything like that. But I was impressed with the two Davis boys we, we, um, um, flipped. The, uh, I'm not sure where the other Davis was from, but I know Carlton Davis was from, um, he was at Ohio Miami. State. And, um. Miami kid. Yeah, and the other kid is from Miami too, but I can't remember where he was. Committed to. I want to say he might have been committed are to Bushfield. Are you Ryan Davis? Is that who you're talking uh, about from Lakewood High School? That's why I think his last. I think his name was Smith. It's another Davis we got too. He's like a five nine, one seventy five athlete from Florida. Yeah, we him as well. I think, I think yeah, his first name starts with a J. J. Ron or Jahar. It's something. But um, we got two Davis boys today. And I was a little shocked that the uh, offensive lineman that committed um, to the three-star from Florida, they flipped. I didn't know what was up with that, but I heard that was T.Y. working his magic too. And it just feels good to get that get that South Florida back, like, you know, during them Junior Rose Green years, Stanley McClover, where we was deep in South Florida, the Fort Lauderdale area, Miami area. And it feels good to have somebody now recruiting that area, getting you know what I'm saying, getting those players. 2016 should be even better as far as the South Florida recruits, because we all know that's a pipeline as far as talent. I think 55 of the three of the ESPN 300 reside in the state of Florida, and 40 and 42 yeah. reside in the state of Texas. Yes, and you know I credit Muschamp. You have to give Muschamp credit for coming, but. T Rob is the the guy that got me all excited when I thought he when I heard he was going to come or had a chance because he really took the state of Florida and put him into Auburn because you, you're right those McGlover days Rose Green those are the days when we were the most talented on defense and and now it looks like we're getting back to that I mean the defense yeah, of, I mean you look at recruiting on defense this year yeah. it was amazing.
I think Pat Sims was another um, highly recruited player out out that area. I think Mike Blunt was like in that area too. He from Papano Beach. Like we've always recruited well down there, but for whatever reason, you know, it, it's like that became less of a point of interest with the um, Chizik um, regime. Yeah, yeah, but now, now with T. Rob there and Damian Craig, I mean, that's a that's a big deal, isn't it, Bertram? When you look at now, you get these guys an entire year together as a staff. What can Auburn do in the future uh, with a full year in front of them with success on the field? I think that's key as well. Yes, yes, and that's why I hope twenty and that's why I hope twenty sixteen class. 2016 is going to decide Auburn's future, whether they are perennial power so we can compete with the Alabamas and shout out to Texas A&M. I like their recruiting class, you know what I'm saying, too. And Tennessee's was pretty good as well. Like, as far as what we're going to do toward the future, because you got to ask yourself, too, how long is David Craig going to be at Auburn? How long is Will Moochuck going to be at Auburn? How long is T-Rob going to be at Auburn? We have a star-studded, like, coaching staff. You know what I'm saying? Auburn's not going to be able to keep them there together like that. You know, I'm glad they're there, and I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts, but (laughs) those are budding budding coaches wherever they, you know what I'm saying? People are going to go after them after the success Auburn has over the next two years. I think we're going to be right there in the thick of things. Well, I think you're right about next year being the class because you're right. This is Muschamp probably two years. Uh, T-Rob could possibly take over Muschamp's job here. You never know, but this this is all-star staff together at one time right now. Could be 2016 is the year. I'm looking anything other than probably a top three finish would be a disappointment uh, given a four-year recruit. I'm looking. I'm looking toward. I'm, I think we should have a number one class next year coming in. Um, yep. I didn't even mention um, uh, Lance Thompson and uh, Rodney Garner. They're 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 great recruiters. And like I said, you know Gus Gus is a known good you know a recruiter. Uh, Red Lashley too. I got a feeling Red Lashley's going to get a job soon enough. And and I'm okay I, with that. Yeah, <laughs> I got a feeling he's going to get a job. So. I like him okay, but I'm okay with that. But, but I mean, I know, Bertram, you and I see things different sometimes. But we're usually on the same page, you know, at the end of the day of how we look at football. But if you look at the defensive side of football real quick for Auburn, what, do you, how do you, what kind of grade do you give them for this recruiting class? If you look at defense alone. I think um, I've heard a little chatter about where well, we didn't get any defensive tackles and stuff like that. I like the tackles we got, actually. I like the Justin kid. Um, I think the Juco is going to be pretty good we got. I kind of like – I think um, I did a, I did like a little like – a, um, like a depth chart in my head just off – names who I thought would be there, and I think um, Auburn's D-line and linebacker corp, that front seven is going to be pretty good. It's going to be one of the best. Like, got a chance to be one of the best, depending on if Carl Lawson is fully healthy off his injury. Yeah, 
Can you imagine Coward and Hall and, uh, and the guy? I'm sorry, I just Carl Lawson. If they're both healthy on the end like that, that could be the difference of Auburn being a number one defense in the SEC or being yeah. number twelve. I mean, that's how yeah. that's how it works. As long as we find yeah, uh, because we're going to run a hybrid three four, and pretty much the uh, linemen are going to be Montrevis Adams, um, Carl Lawson, and Coward. And when we go to the full three, um, Coward is probably going to be in that buck position. Him or, him or Carl Lawson fits the buck position mode that Will Mooschamp, the uh, Dante Fowler, and running power, that mode where you can put your, you know what I'm saying, three fingers down, or you can stand up, you know what I'm saying, to cover the receiver or whatever, or uh, rush the passer. That's what I'm looking forward to as far as that. Now, me personally, I'm more impressed with the secondary recruits more yeah. than the linemen. I think yeah. we feel we need, you know what I'm saying, we need speed and we need real corners who play corner, not <laughs> not just athletes. That, that, that was big to me. A lot of the corners we got really played corner. It wasn't like they was a, a running back or a quarterback move to corner. They actually have corner, you know what I'm saying, reps. And I think that would help. Along with what's already there on campus, you know what I'm saying, that we have, you know what I'm saying, now. And I think I think we're gonna be pretty good. If um <laughs> if if Gus can get the offense going to how it's supposed to go, I think Will Mucho has enough pieces to make Auburn uh, a contender in 2015. I totally agree. And Bertram, man, thanks for calling in. I'm sure we'll be in touch a lot from now until football season. We're gonna catch a game together as we discussed. But thanks for calling in, man, and we'll we'll talk soon. All right, man. Appreciate it. War Eagle, man. War Eagle. I'm gonna bring Mr. Cuervo back on the line. Cuervo, you were you had to go absent for a minute to read that story. Any thoughts real quick on the story you just read regarding the signing of Byron Coward? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I that Cal, that coach Callahan, he tried to pull a fast one, didn't he? That that's based on what, that's what I read. I, I felt I feel like he tried to pull a fast one. I mean, because if you think about it, you know, I mean, is an is a seventeen, eighteen year old kid capable of lying? Yeah, of course. But when it comes to his future, why would he lie about? whether he signed a letter of intent with Florida or not, because the coach is saying that he did. And, and the kid's saying, no, I didn't. The only letter of intent I signed was, was to Auburn. And it was supposed to be faxed, you know, delivered and official. And the coach just sat on it. And, and the kid made a mistake. He made a mistake by yeah. relying on his coach to do that. When, you know, if anybody should have, he should have, asked his mother, hey, mom, can you fax this for me? Or, or whatever the case may be, I think the coach was the last guy you should have had, especially with his ties to Florida and, and things like that. So um, that's what I got out of it. I just felt like the coach tried to pull a fast one, and, and he tried that. Like I said, that last, without reading the story, I already knew there was something about that co- you know, his coach trying to push that, that last-second pitch to get him to flip from Auburn to Florida. Well, guess what? It didn't work. It sounds like the kid 
wanted to commit to Auburn from the start. And, and, you know, the coach tried, he tried, you know, he tried, he tried to be a, a hustler and a grinder and, a, and pull a fast one, but, uh, you know, and it, and it didn't work. And I'm glad it didn't work because, you know, who, who knows how he would wind up if he would have went to Florida, you know, who knows what his career would have been like in the college, you know, I mean, it just, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if I had a kid, I think I would trust Auburn more than I would Florida myself. And it's not because I hate Florida. It's just, I just, I just know how going to school there is different from going to a school like Auburn where, you know, I mean, it is a little bit more about education at Auburn. I mean, they had a great football team, but, but you get your education there too. Yeah. Well, let's look at the conference recruiting and, kind of how it's stacked up real quick. If you want to look at the SEC compared to the other ones, uh, SEC finished one, of course, and they had 21 five-stars actually signed in the SEC. The Pac-12 was second. They had 10 five-stars. The Big 12 had four five-stars in a conference sign. Big 10, zero. What does that say? Ohio State, um, Michigan, zero five-stars. Notre Dame had one five-star. They're independent. The ACC had six five-stars, and no other conference had any. So if you want to look at, at four stars, you know, the fours are where you where your money's made at the end of the day, I think. 117 signed at the SEC, 66 for the Pac-12, 43 for the Big 12, 68 for the Big Ten, 17 for the Independent. Auburn had more four-stars than the Independents altogether. And ACC, 46. So, Cuervo, looking at those numbers like that, I mean, is the SEC down now? Are they going away after losing and not not playing for that national championship? You look at these numbers, what does that tell you and anybody out there? Well, I mean, what it tells you is that you know, these, these kids feel like, and, and it's not a proof of fact because we don't know the future, but these kids genuinely feel like, well, if I'm going to be successful and, and I'm going to get drafted to the NFL, I need to go to an SEC school team. And, and you know, and I just, I heard the numbers that you were just talking about. I mean, the gaps, I mean, four-star recruits, okay, 117 to 66, that's between number one and two. All right? that That's, that's yeah. ridiculous. So that that's what it tells me is that these kids genuinely feel like if they're going to make it to the NFL, make it to the next level, they need to play against the best competition, and that's in the Southeast. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm not sitting here trying to bash other people, but I hear all this hate talk and all this stuff about how Ohio State's back and they're dominating. Well, let me tell you, Ohio State finished ninth in recruiting. That's good. Don't get me wrong. But wouldn't you expect a team that just won a national championship, the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, to win a championship? And, and, and you know, I want to or to, to finish in the top five in recruiting. And I want to talk about some teams real quick, you know, how they did in this recruiting. And I want to start with the Michigan Wolverines, Cuervo. We know about SEC schools, what happened. All you have to do is watch ESPN and they'll tell you. But Michigan finished 36th in recruiting. The Harbaugh came into the – to Michigan, I thought that we would see more of a splash, honestly. And I know we didn't have a ton of time, but 
they finished 36 at Scout. And I'm at Scout right now looking. They had one, no, hold on, seven four-stars and seven three-stars. That's all they signed. They signed 14 people in a class. I mean, how is Michigan going to survive, Cuervo, and come back to play with the Ohio States and the Alabamas, getting only 14 recruits to come, and, and none of them five-stars, not one? Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, and and any Michigan fan out there that thinks that Jim Harbaugh is going to turn it around in one year and he's going to make them a powerhouse, a national powerhouse, um, <laughs> you're 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 very naive. You just put it that way. And maybe I'm being a nice guy again, but you're just being dumb and naive. It's not going to happen. And now, next year, obviously, I think is what you're going to what you're going to look out for. That that's when I think Harbaugh could really make a make his move in, in the Big Ten and, and you know nationwide. So don't expect much from Michigan this year. And I even said it. And I, I've gone on record. I, I don't know if I've said it on your show, but I've said it on um, our show. With, you know, with Sonny and and, and um, over there on on that being said, not this coming up year, but the year after. Okay, Michigan will be a top ten team. No, you got to get. I, I say in Harbaugh's second year, that's when you're going to see the change. This year, you don't expect much, but the, the year after that, oh yeah. The how is? Yeah, I think he's. I mean, I mean, I'm, what, what I'm asking you, and maybe you know more about it than I do. How is he gonna? Is he gonna commit 40 people next year or something? Because this year, 14 people. I'm not sure how many scholarships they had, but in college football. In order to win and play big boy football, you do have to have recruiting, and you have to have. Do you think Harbaugh is going to pull in a top five class next year? Is what you're saying? Um, <clears throat> top ten, I think he'll be a top ten recruiting class next year because he's going to have he's going to have time to build that reputation at Michigan. And for the old timers, I mean, their reputation's already built. They already know. Um, you know, the fact that he played quarterback. But these young kids don't know. They didn't see him when he played in the NFL. They didn't see him when he played at Michigan. So they really don't know what he means to that school. All they know is, yeah, I guess he played quarterback at Michigan, so he's alumni. Well, that's cool. Well, give it time. And when he, once he builds his reputation and, and he sees – and these, these uh, guys that are juniors now uh, – once they start hearing from their senior buddies that did go to Michigan, and they're like, "Man, you need to come here." Man, you know, Harbaugh, Coach Harbaugh is awesome. Whatever they're going to say about him, once he builds that reputation, I think that's when um, you know the turnaround happens. So, and I think it could come as easy as as next year. Yeah, and and I'm with you. I, I'm totally with you on this. And a team that kind of, you know. Ole Miss is a team that finished, I'm looking at scout ranking, 16th in recruiting, uh, landed one five-star, 10-4, and 10-3s. Pretty solid, Cuervo, for an Ole Miss team. I mean, you start looking at the, the three and four stars, and, and, I, and it's funny how people write off three stars like they're nothing or something, but Ole Miss, to me, very impressed with with what they did at number sixteen right here, hauling in ten four stars, ten three stars, and a five star. You know, and and that's good. It's that's a solid recruiting class uh, for Ole Miss. I mean, I know I know a couple of years ago, didn't they have like a top five 
uh, recruiting class or something like that. But, you know, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, they're going to they, – they're losing some guys. You know, they're going to be losing some guys, especially um, on defense, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, they need to definitely reload on the defensive side. And, um, you know, for Ole Miss, I mean, they, they're still – I think they're still – you know, not a national powerhouse yet. I mean, I know they played well last year, and for a few weeks they were the number one team in, in the country. But that was that was one year, though. All right, let's see you do that consistently over time. And, and I think for a team like Ole Miss that had that type of success last year, um, pulling in a number 16 class, I mean, what are they, probably number five or six in the SEC overall? Um, you know, that that's good. I mean – the fact that you know, first, it, it, I mean, you gotta think small picture here, Tarvin, with 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 Ole Miss. I think one of the biggest goals that they had, and they accomplished it at least for right now, is beat Mississippi State. You know, Mississippi State is number eighteen right now. They they've got some, uh, you know, more uh, uh, higher high, high star caliber commitments and things like that. Like you said, uh, three and four stars. You got ten and ten for Ole Miss. Mississippi State is at seven four stars and twenty one three stars. So all the all the you know three star guys are just like, well, um, I don't think we're gonna get recruited by Ole Miss, so we'll just go to Mississippi State. So so for Ole Miss, I think that's a step in the right direction. You you beat your in state rivalry and you and you go from there. So um, you know yeah. Ole Miss is is uh, they're doing good for themselves right now. And and that's the plan, like you said, Mississippi State. They what they do. Is, is they recruit a bunch of three stars and they develop them and by the time they're seniors, see three stars stay four years, Squervo, and that's what people forget sometimes. These five stars like Coward, they're going after three and, and they're done. So that you have to know that they're there for three years where Dan Mullen's sitting here getting these three stars for four full years and by the time they're all seniors, you have a hell of a class on your hands and a team that's, that's hard to fight. I respect the way he does it. And I'm sorry, at Mississippi State, they're just not – it's not a place where people want to go. Even Auburn is, is is a tough sell sometimes, but there's no water around it. There's nothing to do. It's a small town. you got Southern California. I mean, my God. I mean, it's easy to recruit. All they have to do is just open up the door and people come in. But I want to give credit to Charlie Strong in Texas real quick. Texas Longhorns finished eight. And, and this is a big class for them, Cuervo. A five-star, 14 four-stars, 11 three-stars. The average star rating of these players is three and a half. You have to look at what Charlie Strong is doing and wonder. It's only a matter of time before Texas is a serious contender again. Yeah. I know, and, and, you know, that, that's, that is what you have to look at. I mean, they they are the number one <clears throat> Big Twelve excuse me Big Twelve team in, in the country, as far as recruiting is concerned. They beat out Oklahoma. They beat out uh, you know actually I don't even see anybody else on this list. They beat Oklahoma, and that and I think that's the one team that they wanted to make sure that they that they recruited better than because I mean that's their biggest threat in in the conference. You know I mean TCU Baylor yeah you know I'm not. I'm not big buyers of them. I mean, where the hell did they finish in recruiting? And maybe, maybe it's one of those things like mm-hmm. you said about Mississippi State, where they where they get a bunch of three star guys, four star guys, and they develop them. And, and that's the 
And that, and that's the other thing too, you know, and I, I, I mean, I don't know if you were going to get more into this, but if I'm a recruiter, I know it looks good on paper as far as getting all these five stars and all that stuff. But number one, like you said, these guys are, are two and done, maybe three years and done and they move on. Number two, you, you, you keyed in on it. The most important thing, development. All right, these these three star guys that know that they're not, you know, cream of the crop talent. You can mold them in, into how you want them to play, or or how you, you know, want them to be, and 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 develop those good habits that these five star guys think that they got it all packed, you know, packed down, and they, uh, you know, sometimes they don't want to listen, and and they, uh, you know, kind of just do things their way. And that's why a lot of these five-star guys don't pan out at the next level in the NFL. Yeah, they might be a first, second-round pick, but – and I know you've heard this, Tarvin. How many – okay, how many five-star guys that were, that were five-star recruits in going into college, how many guys that were five-stars started in the Super Bowl last Sunday? Do you Zero. know the answer? Zero. Zero. Why? Because those are guys that were willing to learn, that were willing to mold their game and, and listen to their coaching and, and, and take the advice of their coaches. And, well, what do you know? Uh, and, and, and they're playing in the Super Bowl and making game-winning interceptions. I never heard of Malcolm Butler until last Sunday. Now the guy's a hero in Boston. So, I mean, where did he go to school? West Alabama or something like that? I, I think I heard yep. you say West Alabama. So, I mean, West Alabama. I mean, I bet, I bet Alabama's like, damn. I wish, I wish we knew about this kid. But, but you know what? He wasn't highly recruited in college. But that's okay though, because those guys, you can mold them into, into the, the, you know, make, make the most out of them, get the highest potential out of those guys. So, you know, if for Auburn fans or, or, or whatever uh, fan you are, yeah, maybe you didn't get all the five star guys. But that's okay. The key is the the, the threes and the, some of the fours, and uh, that's what I like about how Tennessee's class looks. Um, you know, sitting at number five, they got twelve four stars and thirteen three stars. Those are guys that are going to be willing to work hard and 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 earn a spot on on that Tennessee football team. So, uh, shout out to the Big Orange. Yeah, let's talk about them real quick. Four five stars, or excuse me, three five stars for Tennessee, 12 four stars, and 13 three stars. And I remember when Butch Jones was hired, and you know it's true. Quinn's listening. He knows it's true. Paul Ewing hates Tennessee. He's a Florida fan. He knows it's true. I said, this guy goes out and recruits players that are hungry and does it his way or it's the highway, and they're going to win. He's going to recruit in a couple of years. You're going to see Tennessee being back. And the last two recruiting classes, Tennessee's put together top ten classes. This is a top five class. Butch Jones is getting ready to do something special in the SEC. And I'm and, and I'm sorry, you know, you can develop three stars all you want, and it takes time. You're not going to win championships with three stars. It's just not going to happen usually. Tennessee got their share of five stars. They got 12 four stars. Those are players that, that are going to come in and contribute and, and develop. But Tennessee is something special right there at number five. Kudos to Georgia finishing number six. That's a big, big finish for them, Cuervo, right now with the coaching changes, losing Bobo, and I don't know why, but these players 
for some reason, they they keep coming and playing for Mark Rick. So you have to give them that. But Oregon, so we, we talk about teams with systems and everything. Number 21, and this is the last team we're going to cover in recruiting. Oregon at number 21, Cuervo, is that they have a system. They utilize it. But are you looking at national championships for Oregon now with Mariota gone and just looking at this recruiting class, it just doesn't look that impressive to me if you're going to win the Pac-12 with UCLA and Southern Cal doing what they're doing. No, you know what? Honestly, Tarvin, it's it's uh, it's all downhill in my opinion for for Oregon from here. And, and it's not I'm not being an Oregon hater. I'm being an Oregon realist. So for all you Oregon fans out there, you know, I don't I, I know I don't I'm not like the know it all be it all, but. Listen to what I'm saying. Mark Helfrich is not Chip Kelly, okay? I'm going to say it again. Mark Helfrich is not Chip Kelly. That's, I mean, I don't know if it can get any more, you know, understanding than that, and, or maybe if you could re- read between the lines, it's just not the same program with without Chip Kelly. So, um, is Oregon still going to be a respectable Pac-12 team? Absolutely. But you think about this. USC's got a better class. I mean, you want to talk about a, a team that, um, you know, fit, like finished dead, you know, one of the worst recruiting classes in their in their conference, let alone in the country overall. USC had a better class. UCLA had a better class. Arizona State had a better class. I mean – those three right there, I mean, good luck trying to compete with those three next year. Yep, I totally agree, and and that's what I said, and people called me a hater. And I like Oregon, don't get me wrong. I love Chip Kelly, but Helfrich is not the same animal. He's not going to be able to get the same kind of people in the system that Chip Kelly got. Chip Kelly didn't go out and blow you away with five stars, but by God, the players he got, did it his way, and there was just something, a swagger about Chip Kelly that Helfrich doesn't have. I'm, I'm sorry. Helfrich is the stepdad that, that, you know, he's a stepdad, really, and, and Chip Kelly's the daddy. I mean, there's a big difference there sometimes. And as I just look at that, and the last team, I'm sorry, I know I said that was the last one, Arkansas. If, if you're going to be scared of a team right now, Brett Billiman, Arkansas, being able to pull in a top 22 class, they got seven four stars, sixteen three, and and Arkansas does it with three stars, Cuervo. So Brett Billum has always done it with three and four stars. That's a team on my radar next year. You better watch out for is the Arkansas Razorbacks. I think they're going to be about where they were this year record wise, but after that, you have to watch out for Arkansas. You got to love what he did in recruiting this year. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, he didn't go for the big for the big blue chippers. And, and you know what? I think Bilama is smart enough, and, and eh, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But I think he knew going into it, yeah, you know what? I'm probably, if I'm lucky, I'll get one. So I'm going to go for these guys that the other teams don't necessarily want. You know, maybe they heard from Auburn or maybe they heard from, uh, you know, Bama, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, whatever. I'm going to scoop them up, though, and I'm gonna, and I'm going to develop these guys, and I'm going to make something of them. I mean – in all honesty, you know, that to me that's that's the best way to do it. I mean, nothing against the way you know Alabama does stuff, but those five-star guys, man, I mean, if to be honest with you, Tarvin, 
out of the out of all the five star guys, you know, maybe ten percent of them do something in the NFL. Ten percent of them, and then the rest of them fade away, because it goes back to what I said earlier. A lot of those guys, they think, well, I'm I'm highly recruited. I'm a five star blue chip, and they think they're doing things right, and they and they think they don't have to change their ways at all when it comes to technique and and stuff like that on the field, whatever position they play. And you know what? People catch on to how they how they do things, and they wind up, you know, n- not being successful because they didn't want to listen to the coaching and they didn't want to, you know, change their their game and things like that. So, you know, and and, and this may sound stupid, but I'll give you an example. You know, Aaron Rodgers at Cal, YouTube the way when he was playing at Cal. YouTube, the, his throwing motion at Cal, and it compared to how it is now, it's different. Why? Because he listened to his coaching, and, you know, he, he changed his throw. And I know it's, it may, to some people it's not a big deal, but throwing motion is everything because you're talking about timing, you're talking about ball speed, and how fast you release the football as a quarterback. That stuff's important. So, you know, the fact that Aaron Rodgers listened to his coaching and, and, and he changed his throwing motion – Look at him now. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. And, you know, and he didn't go to a, a top school. He went to Cal, and he, he played for Jeff Tedford when he was there. So, you know, those are the guys that you want, the guys that you can develop and are willing to listen. So, you know. Hey, Cuervo, are you are – you, are you, you're in chat right now, correct? Are they playing I am in the chat. Sonny said, and I can't hear it. Obviously, I'm not. In, I'm in chat, but I don't hear it. He said they. He's listening to the show, and they keep keep playing that McDonald's commercial every minute or something. <laughs> um, Block Talk Radio rep is in the chat room right now, and if you could, you could help. You know, I, I don't. I don't allow advertisements on my show, so. I'm hoping they can get this fixed. I'll be damned if I want my listeners to sit here and listen to a damn McDonald's commercial that nobody in the damn world cares about. You come to weigh in sports talk to listen to sports, not to listen about damn food. So if you're out there, fix this commercial shit before I drop the show. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with their bull crap. So uh, this has been one of the best shows on Block Talk Radio for a long time, and and Sonny's over here hearing about a quarter pounder with cheese. And, hell, he may get in the car, Cuervo, and go to McDonald's and, and get him <laughs> a few quarter pounders because of this. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is I, I'm in the chat room, but I hear us talking. I don't hear any commercials. and Well, so well I'm, I think I'm not sure. What it is, is, I think what it is is he's listening through his, through his computer or something, downloading the episode, and it's uh, – it, it just stops the show from us talking and plays the commercials. So if that's the case, I need to do a test and see what kind of commercials go to other shows and see what I can find out because, look, uh, I will drop this show in a minute and go to somewhere else and play it. If that's not a problem. Or I'll I'll do a show. So I'll find out something to do. But unless you play paid block talk radio a ton of money, they'll, they'll play commercials sometimes. And it used to be barely one. And then now it's, like Sonny said, it's every minute a commercial's coming on. So nobody's going to listen to your show live, Cuervo, if they have to hear a commercial every five seconds. Right. I, and I don't know what's going I don't hear any commercials. I don't know. Is it because I'm called in or? Yes. That's so it. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm listening was. through the computer. I'm listening through the computer. Was that you? That was you, wasn't it? I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Yeah, that was me too. Well, let's see if that works. Let's see if that works. Yeah, maybe they'll uh, be turned off by the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, that was college football recruiting, and in a nutshell, it was a great day for some teams. It was a bad day for others, and and that's recruiting. And one thing, you know, like you said, Cuervo, some of these teams go after guys that they know they can get because when you get in battles, and you you know how good of recruiters Auburn's got. When you're in these battles for these five stars and when you look at a list, USC, Alabama, Tennessee, UCLA, Georgia, Florida, Texas, all these guys are in the same guy for the same guy. It can get tough and very competitive, and only one of you are walking away with that place. So you can't split them up. Only one of you get them. But I think Brett Phillip, like you said, he goes after the guys he knows he can get, and he gets them. And that, that's a lot less stressful and a lot more is a lot cheaper actually than doing it some of the ways Auburn had to do it this year. But it's exciting to to see some of these teams coming out, getting them some talent. But I've always preached it, Cuervo, and you you've heard me. If you're not recruiting well, you're not going to be playing for a championship. So you know you you wondered how long it's going to take Tennessee, how long it was going to take them to get back. All you have to do is look at the last two years of recruiting and look at the coach you have to realize that. Tennessee's a serious, serious contender for the SEC East this year. Uh, you know what? And I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm hoping for that, Tarvin. But uh, you know, it's um, it's going to be good. I mean, they, they they accomplished a goal of mine as a personal goal, and that's make a bowl game. And they whooped on Iowa, so then, you know, I mean, it looks like they're moving in the right direction. But you know, um, I think. What I like about Tennessee's recruiting classes is the, the the volume of commits that they have. I mean, I'm looking at the top 25. Ooh, excuse me. I'm looking at the top 25, Tarvin, and no one cracked 30 except for Tennessee. They had 31 commits mm-hmm. in total. And, you know, that's that's important because it adds depth and it shows that, you know, I mean, that you can recruit guys you know what i mean and, and you're not going just well, for a it, certain it shows, type of guy and, and it shows you were short staffed really for the last couple of years being able to find that many shows you didn't have the numbers which is one of the reasons tennessee struggled yeah exactly exactly and depth you know it's, it's all about depth you know a guy, a guy goes down and and you have another one that can that can just step right in and, and play the position so um, but you know, the, the, going back to Arkansas real fast, Carvin, I think what's important to understand too, uh, with, and, and, uh, and maybe all the coaches do it, who knows, but, um, what's the one thing that you can never get back? Time. In your, time, time, baby. And that's, and that's what I think. You know, when you're looking at Arkansas and a team with seven four-stars and 16 three-stars, 
you know, they did not wait. At least it didn't look like they wasted any time because they didn't get any five-star recruits. But I bet you Bilma didn't waste much time talking to these five-star guys because he knew the time. Why would they want to come play for Arkansas? You know, unless unless they play for a national title and they get some national attention, you're not going to waste time on these guys. So, you know, teams like like Arkansas, South Carolina is another one. These big these Pac-12 schools, even the Big Ten schools. You know, if they're wasting their time on on trying to you know flip these five-star recruits, then um, uh, your your ranking is going to reflect. You know, and I bet that's what Oregon did. You know, uh, I'm sure. You know, some other schools out there, they, they tried, and maybe TCU wasted some time. Well, look at how, how, look at how well we did, and they finished 27th because, you know, they were, the, they were wasting time trying to get these five-star guys knowing that they're not, it's not going to happen. Well, I knew Tennessee and Auburn, or especially Tennessee, has arrived back again when they're actually turning away four-star athletes to be able to do something. That shows you something. These are four stars. These are great players. And Tennessee's like, hey, we're going to have to – we can't offer you anymore. we got another guy, five-star, we're looking at. That's how you know that you've arrived as a Tennessee volunteer fan out there. My in-laws are very excited right now. And, and you know, I could see a scenario setting up next year, Auburn and Tennessee in Atlanta for the SEC championship. What kind of excitement would that be? For a family, you know, a new baby addition coming to the family, and then playing for an SEC championship. But, but you know, recruiting's once a year. Which one's more exciting to you? And I, I know I'm dumb for even asking this: the NFL draft or college football recruiting? In your mind, just for you personally. Um, <clears throat> well, you may not like my answer, but the NFL draft for me is is more exciting because, <clears throat> you know, honestly, like. I know who these guys are coming out of college and going like these guys that, that are, that are um, committing to these schools right now. I don't know who most of them are three years from now, though, I'm going to know who they are. And so with that being said, I mean, maybe I just, maybe because I, I'm not willing to take the time to sit down and, and, and look at all these high school kids that are, <laughs> that are coming out and, 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 you know, looking at the different schools and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for me in the NFL draft, I know who these guys are. I've seen them play in college and things like that. So that's why, for me, that's more exciting because I guess I just I just know who the guys are. And when it comes to the high school level, I don't. Yeah, you're right. It, it's like NFL, by the time the draft, like, I know a lot of these players, especially the first three rounds, and that's – I was so excited for draft day this past year. It was crazy. But you're right. We don't know these guys. And if you really study recruiting, it has to be a full-time job because these kids, there's there's a million teams out there, and every team's getting 30 players a year. You multiply that by four. Each team has, a, you know, 90 players or whatever. That's a lot, Quiver, to keep up with, man. You cannot do it. You have to – really pick and choose what you're doing. But the NFL, 32 teams, you can learn about every roster at least to a certain extent and actually actually be an expert at it. It's hard to be an expert in college football because there's just too much to look at. It's like college basketball. There's no way you can know everything about every team. No, yeah, exactly. And, you know, another thing, too, is when it comes to the draft, you know who the top – 
you know, who the top uh, players are, and you know what their potential is. I mean, you already know, you've seen them play on the college level, and you can get a better idea of how it's, how it's going to transfer over to the professional level. Going from high school to college, I mean, who knows what's going to – I mean, there's no guarantee that a lot of these guys are even going to be on the team next year. They could do, they could do dumb stuff. Kids getting arrested, selling jerseys. I mean, I mean, how many stories did we have to deal with throughout the college football season about guys getting in trouble? Um, you know, whether it was for drugs, whether it's getting arrested for something stupid, or you know, I mean, unfortunately, I think you know we had a couple guys that were in the wrong place at the wrong time and they lost their lives. So there's so many different variables when you're at the college level um, that you just don't know what, what what's going to happen. So you know, that's another thing to look at too. You just don't know who's going to, who's going to make it and who's not. Whereas the NFL draft, they've played their time in college and you already know who's there and you already know what they're about and you already know what their capabilities are, what their potential could be at the next level. Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot going on in Cuervo. Do you have time, real quick, uh, talk Super Bowl? I always have time. All right, we can't do a show here without capping off the NFL season. Uh, one of the greatest Super Bowls I remember watching. You know, it's at least top five. I'll put it that way. There's been some great ones that I remember, but the New England Patriots came to play football on Sunday. Just a, a great game overall. Seattle didn't play well at times, but, I mean, I, I know we talked about this on, on your show. The call Pete Carroll made the Seattle Seahawks to throw the ball on second down at the one. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that real quick for the listeners out there? I'm not, I'm not against it. I mean, I'm not the one out here saying that he's the worst coach of all time now, the stupidest play call. The more I think about it, that was the right play call. Yeah, and you know what? It was the right play call. And the reason I say that is, you know, and I said it, I said it Monday night when uh, we were on uh, on the Couch Potato Sports Show with Sonny. You know, if if I was expecting Marshawn Lynch to get the ball, if you were expecting Marshawn Lynch to get the ball, Sonny and everybody else, 140 million people were expecting Marshawn Lynch to get the ball, then it would probably be a good idea to not give Marshawn Lynch the ball because everyone's expecting it. So why not try to throw them for a curveball? And, again, I would have done it a little bit differently. I would not have gone into the shotgun or anything like that. I would have called a straight-up play action. And I'm telling you, Tarvin, I have that that confidence that had they done that, that tight end would have been – wide open in the middle of the field in the back of the end zone. I really, truly believe that, you know, because I've seen the play a couple of times and I saw the, you know, the lineup and, and, and the matchups that, that New England had in, in that, on that play. And I'm telling you, that tight end would have had it. That tight end would have gotten it. So, um, you know, it was, it was the right call because, again, I mean, they were in a goal line stance. Marshawn Lynch probably would have gotten, you know, maybe a half a foot, if anything. So, I, I mean, 
my initial reaction was like, yeah, why didn't Lynch get the ball? And then I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't the worst play call. I mean, they could have tried some double reverse type stuff and really screwed themselves. But, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. And, you know, for all these people that are that are critics of, of the play call, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know you were a head coach in the NFL and, and would have, uh, you know, made it – it would have been that easy for you to make that decision uh, in that moment to, to make that decision. You know what I'm saying? So I guess everybody's an NFL head coach and would have done things differently. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're sitting here at home and, and we're trying to act like we're smarter than Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll – and come on, that's what gets on my mind. You know, I always say, God, I wish we'd have thrown the ball or I wish we'd have ran it right here. But rarely do you see me just blast a coach for a play call because these guys make millions of dollars doing it. They're experts at it. And and obviously, if he, I mean, if he had it to do over again, I'm sure maybe he would have run it knowing that, that he was going to throw a pick. But but I saw, I heard a stat, like there was a hundred over 100 times a team was at the one-yard line and threw it and never got it picked. And also, Marshawn Lynch inside the one-yard line this year, what, was one for four of scoring touchdowns when getting the ball. So if you look at those odds, the, the correct play call was made. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was like, yeah, it was like 60-something times I heard where touchdown passes were thrown from the one-yard line with no interception. And then Sunday night was the first time that it was intercepted. So, I mean, instead of criticizing the the call on Seattle's end and Pete Carroll's end, why don't we give this kid credit, this this Butler kid, give him credit for making a great play. And, yeah, I was going for Seattle, and I hate the fact that New England won because I just hate being wrong. But, you know, now that it's been a couple days and – I, my mind is back to reality as far as the whole Super Bowl. I mean, let, let's let's give the key credit, man. Great play. It was a great play by that guy. You know, and nobody had ever heard of him until that interception happened. So, and he wound up getting a free free pickup truck out of it thing, you know, as, as a gift from Tom Brady. So, the guy, the kid made out pretty good. Yeah, and and you're right. Sometimes we 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 don't credit, we don't give credit to people, and and nobody wants to give Tom Brady credit unless you're a New England Patriot fan and you're in Boston right now. But if you're out here and you look at Tom Brady, yeah, he's he's not the most likable person in the world. I don't like him. I, I prefer Peyton Manning as my quarterback. But if if you how can you argue, Cuervo, that Tom Brady? is not the best quarterback of all time right now based on what he's been doing, how he's performed. He's 37, 38 years old, and he throws four touchdown passes against the best defense since the, the Ravens back in the day with the Super Bowl and the Bears in 85. So, I mean, he's doing it against some of the best teams. How many quarterbacks, Colin Coward said it, how many quarterbacks thrown four touchdowns against Seattle's defense in the game? Not even Peyton Manning did it. So, I mean, you know, that tells you right there on the biggest stage of the NFL season, you know. And and you know what? Another thing, too, Brady made it look pretty easy. If you really go back and you look at that game, I mean, did it look like he struggled much? I mean, seriously, did it look like he struggled that much? In the first quarter, yeah, I mean, through that bad – well, it wasn't a bad interception. It was just – 
he got hit, and at the same time, he was throwing the football. So other than that, I mean, he made it look kind of effortless if you go back and you really look at it. So uh, I think the one knock, and I keep, and I've heard it a couple times so far since Monday morning, the one knock that people have on Brady is people are trying to give Belichick more credit to Brady's success than Brady's work ethic and his and, and, and you know, again, the grind, going from being a six-round draft pick to where he's at now, um, you know, the, the one year that he got hurt, remember when he tore his ACL in the first game of the year, and everybody's like, well, they still went 5-11 and 11, or 11-5 and five with Matt Castle, so is it really about Brady or is it about the system? Is it about the coach? Is it about, you know, uh, just the way they do things? And, you know, Okay, yeah, they went eleven and five that year, but guess what? It wasn't good enough to make the playoffs. They didn't. They didn't make the playoffs that year. So I don't want to hear about. Well, they still went eleven and five. Yeah, you didn't make the postseason though, so it doesn't matter. So, you know, it's it, yeah. I mean, and I said it. You know, and you and you were you were in agreement agreement with me on it. Is you look at what Brady has had from from a talent standpoint around him compared to some of the other greats of all time that we say are some of the greats of all time. And it's not even close. I mean, Brady's had like C receivers his whole career. And the best thing that's happened to him was Randy Moss and Rob Gronkowski. And, and, you know, with those two guys, he should have won two Super Bowls. Well, another Super Bowl with Moss. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I was going for Seattle, but I, I'm, I like Brady. I like Brady. So, I mean, I don't know. That, that's, that's what I say. I mean, he made it look effortless out there. Though. Well, Sunday was talking about the zone read for Wilson would have let him run in. Uh, zone read right there is risky, but I see what Sunday's saying. You know, Wilson hadn't been stopped all night. I believe Quinn wants back on real quick. Quinn, Quinn, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. What would you like to discuss? Oh, I just wanted to make a bold prediction, well, kind of bold, and say that Tennessee will be the division champ out of the SEC East this coming year. I agree. I mean, that's a that's a bold prediction, Quinn, but it's a, it's not a bold prediction. If you've been following Tennessee like you yeah. have, you've been on this show as long as I've been on it, Quinn, and we appreciate you listening. How many times have I said that Tennessee in two years, and I said two years ago, was going to be a contender in the SEC? How many times have I said that? You said it since since Jones has got there. You said two or three years down the road, they'll be contending. Yep. Yep, and they are. That's a good prediction. And and, and real quick, what do you think about all these Florida fans real upset with Muschamp? I mean, just. Uh, well, they're really know. the only Florida fan that I've seen that I've seen really make a big deal is the one that's been um, way in sports, giving specifically giving you a hard time. Well, I told him put a thousand dollars down, and I'm not messing with ten dollars <laughs> or whatever. Put a thousand down. Let's let's bet big boy money. Let's not waste time, and let's see what happens. But but Quinn, uh, thanks for joining the show, buddy. 
appreciate you coming in. But that Cuervo, you'd like that big prediction right there for it to come true, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see. I would love to see uh, my boys on Rocky Top back in Atlanta for the SEC championship. You know, um, maybe maybe that's the goal this year. You know, brick by brick, like uh, like Butch Jones says, and maybe the brick that they need to put on that wall this year is a, a division of the division title and playing for the SEC championship. Yeah. And speaking of brick by brick, what is, where are the Seattle Seahawks going to go? And now with this loss behind them, now they get to come back maybe with a chip on their shoulder. What's going to happen to Richard Sherman? You know, is is he going to be the Brian Bosworth of the NFL where he gets ran over and he never comes back again? Or, you know, Marshawn Lynch, is, is he has one year left on that contract. And i got a question for Marshawn Lynch for you. Why would Seattle be trying to – redo a deal with him if he has one year left on his contract. Why would you do that if you're Seattle? If he still has one year left? I thought he did. I thought Marshawn Lynch had one year left on his contract. Oh, good question. You know what? And Sonny can correct me in the chat room if I'm wrong, but I think Marshawn Lynch has one year left and Seattle's working to try to get a deal with him. My thing is, why not use him this next year and let him go to free agency? I mean, he's going to be 30. I mean, once it's all said and done, what value is he going to be to you? You know what? Not much, to be honest. I mean, obviously because of the way the game has changed. But, you know, even, I think even the Seattle Seahawks can only tolerate so much more of, of his uh, attitude towards the media and stuff like that because – you know, I mean, the Seattle Seahawks, they they have a certain reputation, but at the same time, they want to be represented in a certain way. And that and that way is not, you know, a guy that, you know, just says, you know, F you to the NFL and to, you know, the authority of that is the NFL. So, um, and, you know, and it, it's, it's funny because it's like every other player on that team has absolutely no problem speaking to the media and not just that, but when you, you you can, you can, you can bash Richard Sherman all you want, but man, he gives a good interview, whether, whether it's trash talking or whatever, he just, he, he, in the energy that he brings and Earl Thomas is the same way. Russell Wilson is the same way. Sherman is that way. Doug Baldwin has become that way, and he's he's a little more of a guy that he already has the chip on his shoulder because, you know, people call him an average receiver, and he is. But, you know, and, and it, all, it all reflects on their coach, Pete Carroll, who's an energetic guy that, um, you know, loves to, uh, you know, loves to talk, you know, he's, he, and he brings energy. And Marshawn Lynch is like, he is the, he is the, um, Oh, what's the, the Eeyore, you know, the, the Eeyore of that, of that bunch where he doesn't say much. He talks real slow. Not my fault. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't even match what that franchise represents or how their, how their, their image is. So the point I'm making is I, I really think that Seattle's only going to put up with it for so much longer. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just think, 
I just think that they're too smart of an organization to be paying too much money to a running back like this. Why not go out, get you one in the draft? I mean, obviously, they, they turn seventh-round, sixth-round talent into the gold. Why not find you a running back in the third or fourth round and be able to come in and, and run it with Wilson? You have a quarterback in Russell Wilson that can run the football, which adds more value to that running back in a way to, to help out. So you could put a just a good, hard-working running back in there with him, and you're going to get production. You saw what they did at receiver, you know, with nobody. I mean, this Seattle team has a hard blue-collar work ethic, and that they don't need some – has been thirty year old running back demanding all this money and I just I just don't get it. I just think he's a he's an idiot. Sonny says he's a dumb butt and I think Sonny's right on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and I think what fits their their system a little bit better because they run the zone read, they need a guy uh like a turban, you know, their backup running back. Small, fast you know, can cut can cut through, you know, around uh, defenders and things like that. I mean, the ground and pound, yeah, but I don't think it really relates to what they do as an offense. They're more of a – they're a little bit more fast-paced. And, um, you know, I, I, you know wouldn't, wouldn't, what would not be the worst idea, Tarvin, is, you know, and, and, and they drafted him uh, a few years ago, a guy like Justin Forsett, who is – revolutionized his career in Baltimore. I think bringing him back to Seattle with the way they do things, I think would be a good fit for uh, Seattle is a guy like Forsett. He's small, quick, you know, can break tackles. Uh, and, um, you know, I think he, I think he'd be good going back to uh, Seattle, but I don't think Baltimore's going to let him go. I mean, he had a great season last year, so good luck getting him out of Baltimore. Well, let's go to some current news real quick. Latroy Ginn, I think that's how you pronounce it, at the Green Bay Packers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story, but he was arrested. Oh, I know the story. Marijuana, and he had 357 grams of marijuana, and he had 190,000 cash in one of the bags where the marijuana was located. I mean, what was this guy doing? You're an NFL player. Why are you a drug dealer? That's what I want to know. Well, I guess I guess the, the the NFL salary wasn't good enough for this guy. He probably he probably works for Sam dollars. Hurd. You remember Sam Hurd? Yeah, yes. you remember Sam Hurd? <laughs> they probably worked together. <laughs> one he, he he signed a one year contract for one million dollars, and he's in negotiations about a long term deal. Well, that got shot to hell. Well, yeah. Well, he's probably not going to be available to sign the even if they Green Bay wanted to bring him back. Uh, they'll have to do it from a jail cell because he ain't, he ain't coming out of there anytime soon. So, so, so Sonny Clark's in the chat room. I'll ask him, Sonny, if you had a million dollars in your pocket in the bank, you know, your bills paid, would you go sell weed? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, it'd be different if he's, uh, if he was broke and he needed something to support his family. I'm all for doing whatever you got to do as long as it's not hurting people. You know, but this guy's a millionaire in the NFL. And speaking of news in the NFL, Warren Sapp fired from the NFL network for prostitution. Catch me up on that a little bit, Cuervo. Catch all of our listeners up. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, just like many people in the Phoenix area over Super Bowl weekend, um, 
And basically, he uh, he bought a couple of females, bought a couple of uh, you know, prostitutes, and uh, you know, it was kind of one of those. Hey, I'll I'll, I'll 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 get you back on the on the back end. You know, you do what I want first, and then I'll pay you. Well, of course, Warren Sapp didn't pay him. These girls came back for their money, and when he didn't want to pay them, they're like, okay, I'm going to call the fuzz on you. So that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And, so, and, also and you know what's funny is about yeah. that? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say is what's funny about that is you have prostitutes calling the cops on a guy that didn't pay them for their services. I mean, how ironic is that? You know what I mean? So not only are you snitching on, on Warren Sapp, but you're also telling on yourself saying, yeah, I'm a prostitute and, and I didn't get paid. So I just thought, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of funny, but um, yeah. yeah, I think Sonny, what you were going to talk about is Sonny. There was a guy, um, Joseph Randall, the Cowboys backup running back. Uh, he got, he got arrested as well. This was a couple of months yeah. ago. Yep, and Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel checks into rehab. Any update on that story? Johnny Rehab. Uh, no, I thought I thought I, I think I heard that Josh Gordon is his roommate though. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm yeah. joking, Tarvin. I don't know if you caught that or not, but I was yeah, just kidding. Uh, and also no, in the NFL, the Falcons fined for using fake crowd noise, which um which is kind of ironic. You use a fake crowd noise, and you you win about three or four games in a season. I mean, is it that bad in Atlanta where you're having to make up crowd noise because nobody wants to cheer and they're wearing paper bags over their head? I guess that cuts the noise down with a paper bag over your head. Yeah, it does. It cuts the noise down. But I mean, that that is that is pretty. Um, that's I found that pretty funny too. Um, you know, fake noise. That's that's hilarious. I mean, you know, and they used to claim Atlanta was one of the loudest. Well, now we know why. Now we know why that they're considered one of the loudest because you got fit, well, you know, remember, fake people cheering. I remember when I was at Auburn, Florida game, and Auburn uh, that game, a night game where Florida was number one. Auburn was bringing in the fake noise that night with the jumbo trot. I mean, it was loud anyway, but they were making it even louder where. So the coach was even couldn't even hear the quarterback, didn't even know what day it was. And, and you know, the Atlanta Falcons, at least Auburn was successful that year. You go to the Falcons, I mean, dang, you're cheating. You're doing something illegal, and you still can't even win. I mean, Carolina came into Atlanta and beat them by about 40 points in their own backyard. So how did that fake crowd noise work? Well, they were probably using the fake booze that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just all so, these all these little stories happen, you know. Everybody's focused on the Super Bowl and trying to be the the know it all, you know, putting people down and trying to say what should have happened and and then signing day, all these other things, you know, happening. Nobody's talking about so now is a good time to get in trouble, I guess, for the next week, and then it's going to start shifting to we're going to start seeing all these stories under a magnifying glass, Cuervo. So how do you predict the off season is going to be? from now until the draft till I guess the preseason starts. I, I predict it's going to be pretty active. There's going to be a lot of stories coming out, for example. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I thought Seattle had a little more pride in themselves, a little more respect for themselves. But, you know, since they lost that game 
Um, there was a, there was a story that came out about Richard Sherman. Um, you know that, and thanks for stealing my thunder, Sonny. You put it in the chat room, but you know uh, there was a, you know, the news comes out that Sherman needs Tommy John surgery on his elbow. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, damn, that's that's crazy. It was more severe than I thought. Well, then today something comes out about um, Cam Chancellor played with a, a, a torn MCL and a, a deep Shoot. bone bruise. And on top of that, Those Earl Thomas goes to go get a second opinion. Yeah, and on top of that, Earl Thomas goes to get a second opinion on his shoulder. I mean, obviously, what it sounds like to me is, or, uh, you know, Seattle's making excuses on why they lost. That's what it sounds like to me. Take the loss like a man. You know, you, you beat the snot out of Denver last year, and, and you know, you guys were pretty uh, – you know, puffing your chest out pretty pretty big about that. Well, now that you lose the Super Bowl, take it like a man, take it as a humbling experience, and come back stronger next year. I mean, Russell Wilson, That I mean, that's what he's going to do. So yeah. all these excuses about the LOB being beat up, come on. Come on, you're better than that. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, – you're right. I, I, I'm starting to see that now where everybody had this – this injury they were playing with and Tom Brady made them look like their normal defense and that really got to them because they one thing they've been able to do is intimidate people but the last two weeks Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady handled business and and honestly the wrong team was in the Super Bowl I think Green Bay and I know you don't want to hear that Cuervo Green Bay should have been the team in the Super Bowl and I think we may have possibly had a different outcome had Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers played New England well, well, you know, you're right. I don't want to hear that. But you know what? To be to be perfectly hum and humblingly honest, Green Bay was the better team that day when they played Seattle for the national or for the national for the NFC Championship. Um, the the Packers were a better, were the better team that day, and unfortunately, they couldn't play a whole four, you know a whole four quarters, and Seattle stole it from under their nose. So, um, you know, and Sonny, Sonny says that he would have picked Green Bay had it been Green Bay, New England in the Super Bowl. Um, I would have obviously picked New England, but I, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't trust Green Bay's defense enough to say that they would have beaten the, uh, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So um, that's why I feel like the two best teams did make it. <clears throat> but regard, I'm going to tell you what, though. And I've already thought about it. Don't be surprised by August and next, or later on this year in August, if Green Bay is my preseason pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. It's something that I've already thought about. That could be it. But, but guys, I'm going to have to run. It's been a great show. A lot. I haven't had much sleep in the last couple of days. So I'm going to try to get a little shut out tonight and head back into work. But um, we'll join y'all. When are you having a show, Cuervo? When are you and Sonny going on? Um, I would probably venture to say that if we're going to do one, it's obviously going to be Saturday morning. I doubt he's going to be able to make it. But I will come up with a with a list of uh, topics and things like that. So, uh, well, he says Saturday afternoon. You know what? 
I guess we'll just kind of iron that all out off the air so that way you can get some rest. But uh, he says Saturday afternoon, and, and, and I'm good with that. Uh, he says no on Sunday, so Saturday afternoon. All right. And also he mentioned Tim Brown in the Hall of Fame. Congratulations to Tim yeah. Brown. And we'll head on. We'll head on all that Sunday night, who made the Hall of Fame, who got in, all that good stuff, who got snubbed, and go over that. But until Sunday night, everybody have a great week. It's been one great show and one great day for for recruiting. So, Cuervo, thanks for joining me, buddy. Take care. Quinn's listening. Thanks for listening. Take care, guys. Sunny, great week, bud. Have a good one, Tarvin. Get some rest, man.